Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. John 15 verses 6 to 8. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Lord, I just uh, thank you for this time now and the honour of being able to minister uh, and preach this sermon and that you've given us this wonderful church, Lord, with uh, just a wonderful spirit just moving in this church and and helping us to delve deeper into the Word of God each week and uh, deeper in prayer each week as a church and also deeper in our worship. So I thank you and praise you that you're doing a wonderful thing here. And I pray that this message uh, today, which is called Why Read, Study and Memorize Scripture, will really have an effect on us and and impact us and cause us to go deeper in our devotional life uh, and uh, become more effective Christians as a result. I pray this in your wonderful name, and I pray that you will just anoint me now to say the right things uh, and uh, close my mouth for folds to say anything that would not be of you. But let everything be of the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm just going to read you a story. I've got a few stories in the sermon today because I think the illustrations of the stories are going to really help us to get a grip on the the, uh, essence of this message. This story is called God Washed Her Brain. In his book, How to Be Born Again, Billy Graham tells of a missionary who was imprisoned by the Japanese in China. At this concentration camp, the penalty for owning even a portion of the scriptures was death. However, a small gospel of John was smuggled to her in a winter coat. At night, when she went to bed, she pulled the covers over her head and with her flashlight in hand, read a verse and then put herself to sleep, memorising that verse. In this way, over a period of time, she memorized the entire Gospel of John. When she went to wash her hands, she would take one page at a time, dissolve it with soap and water and flush it down the drain. And that is the way she said that John and I parted company. But I don't know if they really did part company because she had it in her heart. This little missionary was interviewed by a time reporter just before the prisoners were released and he happened to be standing at the gates when the prisoners came out. Most of them shuffled along, eyes on the ground, little more than automatons. Then out came the little missionary, bright as a button. One of the reporters was heard to ask, I wonder if they managed to brainwash her. And the time reporter overheard the remark and answered, God washed her brain. Isn't that amazing? I've read many, many stories about people in prison who held to the faith in Christ and most of them succeeded in overcoming the brainwashing tactics of the authorities. So knowing the scriptures is a very powerful weapon in this type of 
the stress. Psalm 18, 32 to 33 says, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. And when you think about it, because this little missionary girl was in God, God enabled her to stand on the heights. He made her feet like a deer so that when everyone else was coming out of their prison after their however many years in there, they shuffled along in depression and so on. She came out skipping like a calf. So that's the power of the gospel. The Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's read that? Who's read that? Who could just about quote that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is clearly identified here as the Word of God. Before anything else was, the Word of God was. So in the beginning, before anything else was created in heaven or earth or anything, the Word of God existed. This Word of God, we see in John 1.14, it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. So the Word of God, who was with God in the beginning, became flesh. And then he dwelt with us. So the word of God became flesh and took on the form of a man. And we know that that man is Jesus Christ. So it's interesting, isn't it? What's really interesting is this. Acts 4.31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God. Boldly. So the word of God was in the beginning, was with God, and the... The Lord God spoke the word of God and then the word of God became flesh and that being or existence was Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit filled believers are speaking the word of God. And if you look through the uh, book of Acts and right through and if you just do a word search for the word of God, it's all the way through. Whenever the disciples opened their mouths, it was called the word of God. Speaking the word of God is here referring to as coming forth from the mouths of Holy Spirit-filled believers. And just as Jesus is referred to as the Word of God becoming flesh, in that Jesus is a man manifestation of the Word of the Father, and therefore He is the Father, because He's a manifestation of the Word of the Father, and He is the Father. He said, he said to Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what He's trying to say. I am the Father of one. I come out of the Father. I am the Father. And now we see the Word of God, Jesus Christ, being a manifestation of the spoken Word of the Holy Spirit for believers. Now, the believers who speak by the Holy Spirit, who is God, because he's part of the Trinity, what they say is termed the Word of God. The Bible also is referred to as the Word of God, because the words which, are, which our Lord, his prophets, his patriarchs, his disciples spoken were recorded in the Old and New Testament. They were written down by these, uh, spoken and written down by the Old and, uh, in the Old and New Testaments. Therefore, that is the Word of God because it's the spoken Word of God. Therefore, Paul could say in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Who gets blown away when they read that? I get really blown away. Because I dwell and my thoughts are constantly going towards God, when I realize that what I have in my hand here is the spoken word of God, the God who created all things, 
and this is the sure spoken word of God, right? I get really, really blown away by that. That is, the, to me, is, is amazing. That makes me want to spend more time reading it. Because the very existence that created me and knit me together in my mother's womb is the very one who spoke everything here. And he gave this to us as a manual to life. We have a confidence in the word of God, the Bible, that it is a living and active power and able to turn us, transform us and give us eternal life. Where does that come from? Well, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Therefore, when we read the Bible, we are hearing from God. His word is living and active and can redesign you into his image spiritually. Who wants to be redesigned into God's image? You know, because at the moment we're a corrupted image. The moment Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, they were corrupted. And so really everyone who's born into this world is a corrupted image of the truth, not saying that children are pure, they are. Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is for such as these. You've got to be like a little child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we are corrupt and we've got to understand that, that we have a corrupted image. And the more we dwell on the word of God, the more we dwell in God's presence in prayer, the more we become like him. And guess what? It becomes attractive. When you're changed and transformed into the image of God, you become an attractive person. You know, if you're truly changed. Don't let your thoughts dwell on, oh, I know a Christian and he wasn't that attractive. You know, in a, as a personality, he had a terrible personality. Well, he hasn't been transformed into the image of God. What happened when Jesus walked on earth? Multitudes followed him. Multitudes. He was the most attractive person. They said he didn't have a, an appearance that was attractive. He didn't have anything that, he wasn't a magnificent looking person. Like Brad Pitt would outdo Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? In looks. But he had an appearance that just, as in a, a, a character, which Brad Pitt couldn't even dream of having. He couldn't even act out that character. You know, and if he did act it out, it was only an act. He couldn't keep it up. You know what I mean? But Jesus had a character that people just wanted to be with. People wanted to be around. He attracted everyone to his side. You know, one thing that if I can achieve anything in you guys is that you get transformed into his image. And I can get transformed into his image. That we all can get transformed into his image together. Because that is critical. It's critical. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So what he's saying, he's given us a secret here to answered prayer. If his word abides in us, if his word truly abides in us, if we went up to somebody and laid hands on them and prayed for their healing, it would be done just as we have asked. Because that's what this word is telling us. So here's the secret to answered prayer. Here's the secret to getting uh, people that you love that are sick healed. This is the secret to you know, having what God wants you to have in life and not falling short of what he wants you to have. Because there's a lot of things God wants you to have in life and we don't actually end up seeing it come to fruition in our life. Because we don't seek him, we don't find out what his will is really for us. We must abide in Christ, meaning we must hold firm to the profession of our faith and our commitment to living for him. Who's holding firm to your profession of your faith? 
Who's holding firm? Put your hand up if you are. If you are convinced you're holding firm. If someone came in right now and he had a, had a gun and he put a gun up to your head right now and just imagine it. Try to shut your eyes and imagine that just for a moment. He put a gun up to your head and he says, you can walk out of here. But all you have to do is say, I don't believe in you, Jesus. You, all you have to do is reject Jesus. What would you say? What would you say to have freedom to walk out of this room? Yeah. Uh, white light. I say let your will be done, Lord. What's the point of people? Yeah, well, if you reject Jesus, I'll tell you what. You know what? You, if you're a true Christian, you wouldn't be far out of this building and you'd be wanting to come back in and lay your life down because you'd feel so guilty because you let him down. Because if that is when God has called you to end his, your life for him, that is when you've got to take the bullet in a sense. I heard a story of a couple of men came into a church and the church was waiting on some visiting speakers. There was some visiting speakers to speak that day. And two men come running into the church, balaclavas and the whole bit, and they got guns and they put everyone up and against the wall and they were serious. They were full on saying, okay, everyone who wants to give up Jesus and get free, you can go. So half the church, just, out they went. And the other half just stood there and said, no, nah, I'm going to die for the Lord. And you know what they did? Pulled off their balaclavas, put their guns down and said, okay, you're the guys that we want to preach to today. So his word must abide in us, meaning his spoken word in the scriptures must be in us and flow from within us and in that we obey his word and do as it says. So I put a what there. <laughs> do as it says or do what it says. <laughs> So we've got to obey and do what it says, but his word must abide in us. The spoken word, the scriptures must be in us and flow from within us. Who feels like there's a scripture flowing in you now when you, you, when you can say Hebrews 4, 12 to 13? There's a scripture in us, isn't there? It flows from within us. Now, if you can learn one, what's stopping you from learning two? And if you can learn two, what's stopping you from learning four? What's stopping you from learning a thousand? You know? just takes a little bit of effort. I've found the more scriptures I memorize, the easier it gets to memorize. Our minds are incredible. We can store so much stuff in here. So a little bit of scripture memorization is quite, you know, easy to do and quite easy to retain as well because it's an incredible mind that God's given us. But it's also, I'll go back, it says within us and that we must obey his word and do what it says because James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Get that? If you just listen to the word, you're being deceived. Do what it says. If you just go to the church and say, oh, yeah, that was all right. Heard the word. Go home and just let nothing happen inside you. You're being deceived. So that's telling us that the best churches in the world have people in there that are getting deceived because they're not doing what it says. They're not letting the word of God change them and transform them and change them into the image of God, into the image of Christ. So the importance of memorizing scripture. If the blessings to answered prayer comes from having his word abide in us, then the obvious question should be, how do we get his word to abide in us? And this is what I've already been talking about all morning. We have to store it up in our memories. We've got to store it in our memories. One thing about when you store something in your memory, it's sort of in your heart. 
It becomes part of your structure, your being, your existence. Billy Graham said, who knows the story of Joseph? Everyone's familiar with the story of Joseph? If you're not, read it. It's in Genesis, uh, I think, 27 or 37, one of those. But it's from there onwards, and it is the best, one of the best stories in the Bible. And when you start reading it in the Bible, you simply can't stop reading it. It's one of those sort of stories. It's gripping. You just want to find out what happens, what happens, what happens. When you get to the end, it's just like a mind blow that this is an actual historical record because it's brilliant literature. It's brilliant storytelling. But Billy Graham said, like Joseph storing up grain during the years of famine that lay ahead, may we store up the truths of God's word in our hearts as much as possible so that we are prepared for whatever suffering we are called upon to endure. If, just to understand what he's saying there, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the story, is Joseph got out of, he was in prison and he was brought out from the prison to interpret a dream by from Pharaoh and Pharaoh had had this dream where there was seven fat cows and t uh, seven skinny runty cows and there were seven full heads of corn or grain and there were seven skinny ones and those skinny cows and skinny grains were eating the fat ones and ate them until they were all gone and Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh and said what that means is there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and everything in the plenty is going to be devoured by the famine. And uh, he said, so I advise you, Pharaoh, to set up uh, storehouses and store up uh, all the food that you grow during the years of plenty so that for the seven years of famine we have grain in Egypt. And uh, then he was placed uh, in second command in Egypt. He came from prison to becoming prime minister of Egypt and was in charge of storing up the uh, grain for the the seven years of famine that was to come. So it's a magnificent story. And in that sense, we've got to store up grain in our hearts, in our minds, for the years of famine which could lay ahead. Because we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. We don't know. We wake up one day in our warm beds and in our beautiful home life. The next day we could be thrust into prison cells because of our profession of our faith. And you know what? It's happened continually throughout history. It's happened over and over and over again. And so at those times, it's not until you're in the prison cell that you've got nothing, you're stripped down, you're just there just laying on a, a mattress and you just think, man, I wish I was diligent in the Bible. I'd love to be able to just remember all the stories and remember all the uh, verses from the Bible now because this is when I need it. So store up grain for the years of famine. This story is called Recalling the Bible. Uh, the biography of Geoffrey Bull, uh, a British missionary to Tibet, who was captured and imprisoned by Chinese communists, tells how his captors took his possessions from him, threw him in a series of prisons, robbed him of his Bible, and made him suffer terribly at, at their hands for three years. In addition to extreme temperatures and miserable physical conditions, bodily abuse and near starvation, Bull was subjected to such mental and psychological torture that he feared he would go insane. How did he keep his mind at peace? He had no Bible now, but he had studied the Bible all his life. He began to systematically go over the scriptures in his mind. He found it took him about six months to go all the way through the Bible mentally. He started at Genesis and recalled each incident and story as best he could, first concentrating on the content and then musing on certain points, seeking light in prayer. He continued through the Old Testament, reconstructing the books and the chapters as best he could, then into the New Testament, 
from Matthew to Revelation. And then he started over again. He later wrote, the strength received through this meditation was, I believe, a vital factor in bringing me through, and it kept, kept by the faith to the very end. It helped him through the tough times. There was another story I was going to read, which was just, it was just too long. It's a very, very long story. But this guy, um, the amount of suffering he went through, and he says, when you're in that sort of a situation, he says, everyone is calling out to God. Everyone wants to know, is there more to life than this? Because when, when they're at that point, they're at their, the end of hum, their life in the sense of uh, there's nothing else. What else can save you from that sort of a punishment? If that's what your lot is, there's got to be an afterlife. They start looking to that. And that's where those that have the scriptures can face those times much better. Mm. Treasure. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is and will be also. So what is this treasure? That scripture has been used in sermons to talk about, you know, giving money into the offering or supporting missionaries and, and that sort of thing or doing good things, you know, doing good works for people in the name of Jesus. And that, that is all treasure. But the Bible gives us a specific uh, answer to that. Colossians 2, 2 to 3 says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So hidden in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Jesus is the word of God. So store up treasure from the word of God. Store it up as in a barn. Like if, you know, in a barn you store things up, you, you pack them away for for days when you don't have that, that thing or when you're not growing that thing. So hidden in Christ, the word of God is treasure immeasurable and we are encouraged to store up this treasure in our hearts. And I'll tell you now, by the Spirit, from what the Spirit has been saying to me of late, I've been really pressed to memorize more scripture and I've been memorizing oodles of scripture, you know, heaps and heaps and heaps of scripture because I, I, don't, I don't know why. There's just the urgency in me to memorize. And I'm, so I'm getting driven along, not in a sense by my own will to do it, but by God's will for me to do it. And I'm just simply obeying. I'm just doing it because I, can't, I need to know this stuff. I need to have it in my memory. And I don't know why that urgency is there. I just, I gather that that's, he's placed it on my heart for, because something could be on the horizon where I might need to have that store, storehouse of scripture. And it might, need, might carry me through some dark days. You know, so we need to store it up while it's here. While, it's, while we're allowed to, read the Bible, read it and store it while it's here. Because one day, you know, many countries in the world, you can't go into a country with this. If you go in, it's like taking heroin into that country. You're treated like a, like a drug pusher or something or a dealer. Now, what's to say that that won't happen in Australia one day? With the rise of atheism, the new atheism, and the rise of all the uh, Islamic movements in Australia and all that sort of stuff, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years' time? Who knows what's going to happen in, in one year's time? 
how far and how bad it could get. So store it up in your hearts. Because they can take this away from you, but they can't take away what's in your heart, can they? If it's there. 20,000 verses. In the book Scripture Memorizing for Successful Soul Winning by Dr. Oscar Lowry, Lowry admits that he entered Christian service as a young man with an undisciplined mind. Thinking he could not memorize Scripture, he filled the flyleaf of his Bible, and the flyleaf is the pages which doesn't have any writing on it, uh, of his Bible with references useful for counseling and evangelism. But it proved awkward to stop his conversations long enough to track down the right verse. So finally, he determined to succeed at Scripture memory, and he said, if I can memorize one verse, I can memorize one more. And I can memorize, then I can memorize ten more, I can, and even a hundred more. He rose early the next morning and he chose what seemed to, to him to be a difficult passage, Romans 10, 9 to 10. He paced the room, saying to himself, I will do this thing. He struggled with this passage for half an hour, but finally succeeding in memorizing it completely. So it took him half an hour, just half an hour. Who's, when you've done that scripture, Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, how long did it take to memorize it? When you, put your, when you really put yourself to it? Steph? And it was there, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's not hard, is it? It's a really easy thing to do, just to quickly memorise it, you know. For us adults, it probably takes us about two to three times that. I know to the memorising of the stuff that I've memorised, it's taken me a lot longer than that, but I've got that older mind. But the younger mind usually retains things better. So it's not a hard thing to do. So he struggled with this passage for half an hour, but finally succeeded in memorising it completely. The next morning he received, uh, he reviewed and reinforced those verses in his memory and then he added a new one. He kept reviewing his chosen passages and adding new ones until it dawned on him one day that he could repeat 100 verses without looking at his Bible. By the end of his life he had learned over 20,000 verses and he could locate each by chapter and verse without his Bible. No wonder his Christian life was full of joy, his mind was full of wisdom, and his evangelistic efforts full of success. And that, to me, is the secret to having the Word of God abide in you, is put your heart to memorising, put your mind to memorising it. You know, get a scripture, you know. Uh, so many people can, can learn a scripture a day. Why can't you? You know, it's not hard. What I do is I keep an exercise book, and I just write the scriptures that I'm memorising in there. And then I'm sort of just building from that. And then as I'm reading my Bible in my Bible reading time, I see a verse that I really like and I've always wanted to memorize and I shove that in there as well. So I've got a, uh, quite a few scriptures that I haven't started memorizing yet, but they're just there for me to start on. I'm just going to talk about some great quotes or read out some great quotes. If you carry a Bible when you are young, it will carry you when you're old. Isn't that good? If you carry it when you're young, it will carry you when you're old. If we understood what happens when we use the Word of God, we would use it more often. Oswald Chambers said that. If we understood what happens when we use the Word of God, we would use it more often. When we speak the Word of God out. I have found that my spiritual growth is directly proportionate to the amount of time and effort I put into the study of Scripture. So the amount of time he spends in the Bible becomes the proportionate to the amount of uh, spiritual growth that he sees in his life. That's John MacArthur. 
still around, Johnny. Other books were given for our information, but the Bible was given for our transformation. Isn't that interesting? There's a story of a, a man who was on a ship. He was the captain of the ship, and he had a, a on his ship there was like 20, no, a 2,000 book library on his ship. Anyway, the ship struck a rock and was uh, broken in half. It snapped in two, and, all, and the part that had snapped was on, a, on the rock and was kept above the water. And all of the passengers and everyone were on that rock with the captain, but his, the other half where his books were <laughs> went, uh, went down. The next morning, a ship came by and, and saved them, and he noticed there was one book floating on top of the surface. And guess what it was? The Bible. And he picked up, that's the only book that survived. It was like the only one that rose to the top of the depths. You know what I mean? And that him was a significant thing. And he immediately began Bible studies and devoted his life to preaching the Word of God from then on. But all other books were given for our information. But the Word of God, or the Bible, was given for our transformation so that we can be transformed and renewed and, and made in the image of Christ or created to be. The Bible... This is another good one. The Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I like that. You know, if your Bible is, you know, half wrecked, mine's only half wrecked, so I'm only half falling apart at the moment. But uh, I can't wait till I see this thing just in tatters. Barry, Barry Smith said. Oh, yes, you know, I was about to say that, but go on, no, you say it. So. Barry Smith used to always say, clean Bible. Dirty heart, dirty Bible, clean heart. Uh, you know that, you know, Bible, like, oh, yes, uh, Dave Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> he's turning the pages. They're not connected. He's turning them, but they're all, yeah, they're just like loose leaf. <laughs> Dave Hunt, yeah, his Bible is in tatters. I love that when you see that, you know. That's how a Bible's got to get. If they're all neat and tidy... It means something's wrong. There was another quote I was going to put there is, if you gathered all the dust that's sitting on top of Bibles, you would create the most terrible dust storm you wouldn't see for two days if, if, if everyone blew off the dust of their Bibles at once. <laughs> okay. One more story, I think. Well, there could be, there could be more. No, that's it. Collecting cookbooks is a good story. The Wall Street Journal reported that nearly 1,000 different cookbooks are published each year in America, many of them glossy, full colour and very expensive. But at the same time, fewer and fewer people are cooking. And increasing numbers are eating in restaurants. The reporter for the journal interviewed one lady, a portfolio manager in New York, and she had acquired 16 cookbooks in the last four years. And she also subscribes to two cooking magazines. But the last time she prepared a sit-down meal was four years ago. And she said it didn't turn out. So four cookbooks a year, subscribes to two cooking magazines, hasn't cooked in four years. Isn't that interesting? So there are more Bible translations, study aids and devotional books than ever before in history. Christian publishing is a big business in America and in Australia. But for all that, people are reading and studying their Bibles less and less. We have more Bible aids than ever in history, yet we are, it's like we'd rather read a magazine, you know, Clio or something, I don't know, whatever the popular girl magazine, what's the popular girl magazine today? 
you know, reading. Hey? Okay. It's called okay. Oh, okay. Cosmopolitan. That's a glutton. Interesting, isn't it? Collecting cookbooks. So the challenge today. The challenge to this is really clear. Can we take responsibility for our own spiritual warfare? <laughs> welfare. <laughs> Can we take so, for our own spiritual... I, I thought it looked like warfare before and it subconsciously sat in my mind. Uh, the challenge to this is really clear. Can we take responsibility for our own spiritual welfare? And warfare, yeah. <laughs> Can we take responsibility? That's the question. See, it's not my job to get you guys to read. Like, I can encourage you to read the Bible, but I'm not going to sit down with you every night and read it. You know, you live too far from me. If you were living here, I'd probably do it if you went to it. But it is. It, we've really got to encourage ourselves to take control of this, to get a hold of this. Because if you're finding, if Christianity seems boring, it's only because you're not in the Scriptures. When you're in the scriptures all the time, Christianity is the most exciting thing on the planet. But when you're not into it, it just seems boring. It's that Sunday thing that you grit and bear, get it over with so you can go home. But when, when you're reading the scriptures all the time, when you're praying all the time, Christianity becomes the most exciting thing in your life. So like I said in a, in a past sermon, a gauge of, of where you are in God is, and, and a gauge of your prayer life, I think it was is how excited are you about the things of God? That's right. That's right. I've always noticed we're teaching piano. The students that don't practice are the most bored piano students you can have. But the students that practice are the ones that are the best students you can have. They're always excited. They just love, love coming to the lesson. They can't wait to learn a new song. But when they're not practicing, they're, they're shocking. You know, they're bored and they want to give up and you've got all this sort of thing. And it's not the teacher's fault necessarily. It's just their, their slack attitude towards learning. Am I looking at you a bit no, too much as I'm saying this, Matthew? I think the camera's here, right? <laughs> Can we accept the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit to read, study, and memorize Scripture? Who, who's felt themselves get prompted by the Holy Spirit at times? You know, The Holy Spirit will say, go and read the Bible instead of watching this stupid TV show. Who's felt that prompting? Put up your hand if oh, you yes. felt the prompting. You haven't you felt it i know stephanie if you haven't felt it oh i don't believe that's true i believe everyone's felt it you know why are you watching this stupid show it's just talking garbage go and sit down and read through the book of john or read through romans go and memorize something in the bible memorize a scripture you know what i'm saying you'll feel that prompting all the time or watch rob's sermon online <laughs> And give me a nice comment. <laughs> Can we take the God who created us seriously enough to move ourselves into a devotional life that we always hoped we could achieve? I'm sure in every one of us there's a, a level of devotion that you would love to be able to commit to. Who wouldn't love to be able to just know that you can get up at 6 in the morning and pray for an hour and then get, get on your knees at 8 o'clock at night and pray for an hour? And then you can read the Bible three or four times through the day. Who wouldn't like to know that they could do that? Put up your hand if you'd love to be able to do that. Put up your hand. Seriously, I want you really to put up your hand because I'd like to know. Because if your hand's not going up, it means that God hasn't grabbed a hold of you yet. 
Because you would love to know that you could do that, wouldn't it? Well, try to live it out. Not necessarily what I just said, but try to live out what God has called you to do. Because when you're not living out what God's called you to do, you know what the Bible calls that? Lukewarmness or disobedience. He's calling you to it, but we're not responding to the call. Your Bible patiently waits for you to spend time with it or in it, and the Holy Spirit longs to guide you through it. Will you obey the call? Something about a devotional life. You know what a devotional life is? Something that you devote yourself to. I want, want you to all name, to name something you're devoted to. Lena, what, what's something you're devoted to? Your family, very good. Not in your twelve. Yes, sir. Answer that one. You can't use that now. <laughs> uh, Bill, what's something you're devoted to? Very good. And you are. Steph, playing piano. Very good. Matthew, you can't say that. No, I, I was <laughs> going to. Uh, I can um, many things that aren't necessary. Newcastle United. There you go. Soccer. And uh, James, what are you devoted to? I've, they've all <laughs> ripped you off of everything well, you were going to say on that. All of the above. Okay. Okay. So your level of devotion to those things that you're talking about, how does that fare to your devotion towards God? The commitment that you place in that, how does it fare to the commitment to reading the Bible. Who reads the Bible every day? Yeah? yeah? No. Who reads the Bible? Those have put your hand up. Who reads your Bible for 10 minutes a day? Who reads the Bible for 20 minutes a day? What about half an hour? Okay. I should have my hand up anyway. Over an hour. But um, that is a real fair indication of, well, my effectiveness at this stage, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And it really is a call for you to say, well, hold on, that shouldn't be so. The Bible is the book. It is the book that's going to carry you through life. And it's when you're standing at Judgment Day, you're not going to be saying, you know, how good was I doing devoted to all these other things. God doesn't care about your devotion to those other things. It's going to be, well, were you devoted to me? Why weren't you excited about me while you lived on earth for that short life, that short little minute life that you lived down there. I want to give you eternity forever and ever and ever in the most beautiful life you can ever imagine. And all I asked of you was a little bit of devotion here, a little bit of devotion just to get your mind off all those other stupid things that get your attention and give yourself to me just a little bit. I created you. Isn't that the least you could do for your creator who gave you life? who loved you and he laid his life down for you. Jesus is the most devoted. You know, the least we can repay him with is just know his word. Just pray to him, you know. And I'm just encouraging you. I'm not trying to give you guilt trips. I'm just encouraging you. You know, we, I really don't want to see any of us here standing at judgment day with masses of regret. You know, we've got to get on to Judgment Day and be so glad that we're there and that we honoured him to the best of our ability, you know. So let this just sort of really move you. 
Okay, let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray for a, 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 an outpouring of your spirit, a spirit that will move them, each and every one of us here, to read the Bible more, to pray more, to seek you uh, at a level of devotion that they've never experienced before. And I pray that as they do that, their passion for you will increase, their love of you will, will increase, uh, their commitment levels to many things um, in relation to you will just, just blow out, Lord. And I just pray that you will just do such an amazing thing in their life that, that within a few weeks from now I'll be hearing all these testimonies of just the level of uh, devotion that their lives are taking on as they seek you, as they seek your word, as they memorize scripture, and as they just devote themselves to, to the truth rather than to a lie. Lord, too many of us find it too easy to watch TV or to just sit on the computer for hours on end. And all we're doing is swallowing a, a lie pill, just swallowing this, this uh, deception that the evil one has placed there. And we know it's a deception, yet we still go to it. We still, still let it influence us. And every one of us is guilty of that. Lord, give us the strength and the spirit to stand against this deception, to stand against the, the uh, propaganda that is placed on the TV and uh, in the computer to deceive us. James said that if we just hear the word and don't do what it says, we are deceived. Help us to change, Lord. I pray this in your wonderful name and I pray that you'll just give us a spirit of grace to be able to take on board everything I said today. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 amen.